This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. And we are talking about the rise of David Amelch, the new king of Israel. It was a gradual process, but I just want a little bit of background. You know, David Hamelech's rise to prominence was meteoric, like a meteor. He was anointed by Samuel. He becomes the harp player to King Saul. He kills this giant Goliath and made him a national hero. He then marries the king's daughter, Michal, and he became the son-in-law to the most powerful man in the land. So his, his uh, rise to fame was meteoric. And Hollywood have ended the story right there. The shepherd boy, everyone thought was illegitimate, slays the wicked giant, becomes a national hero. He marries the king's daughter and lives happily ever after. However, in uh, Jewish history, it doesn't turn out like that. The, the events don't follow in the right flow and just keep on going up. David, David Amela, had the misfortune of possessing so much talent that he became a lightning rod for all jealousies, all jealous people around till his very death. And even after his death, we come after him. It's literally, we just learned the Dafyomi in Moed Katan about Shlomo Melech's dedication of the Beit HaMikdash when he built the temple. First temple, David's son, David's son, Solomon, Shlomo, builds the first temple. And for some reason, the doors would not open. Imagine the brand new building, the new temple. First temple in Jerusalem, on Mount Moriah. And the doors will not open. Imagine, they're going to have a ceremony. It's getting late. And Shlomo Melech is going, praying, crying, Hashem, open the doors. Until he says, because of my father, David, he married my father, David, opened the doors and the doors opened. So the Talmud says that the faces of those who were jealous of David, who hated David, thought, you know, he had sinned with Bathsheba, he's an evil person. Their faces turned a different color. They, they saw that David was beloved by Hashem. So it's interesting that the jealousies of people lasted till after David was gone, after King David died. People were so jealous of him. He was a lightning rod for all jealous people. Why? Because he was so talented. He was so knowledgeable in all different ways. He became a lightning rod for all jealousies, intrigues, and pettiness. Find in Psalm 69, he says, those who sit in the gates, which are the scholars and the elites, speak against me. I'm also the, the song of the drunkards. Imagine. The scholars debated he was Jewish. The drunkards composed songs of ridicule about him. And David suffered the most from his father-in-law. You know, the in-laws and the outlaws. This was really an outlaw. In his depression, Shaul, Saul, viewed David as a source of all his troubles. If he had seen David correctly, David could have been the source of his savior. Why? Because David would have made his son second in command. He would be the next king after Shaul, marrying Shaul's daughter, King Saul's daughter, son-in-law to the king. 
next king and incorporates Saul's family into the royal class. Instead of which King Saul lost all that by being jealous of David. So his enmity of David was his own downfall. It caused Hashem to keep away from him. All of David's life was marked by hostility from so many important people, starting with Saul, Saul's advisors, which we're going to talk about today. And David's own advisors, Yoab, his own cousin, who is the general of his army, eventually rebels against him. David's own children, which we're going to talk about, terrible. Absalom, Adoniyah, Amnon, all his children, not all, but some of his children rebelled against him. Two of them mounted rebellions against him. And this is a recurring theme through the book of Psalms, which we have to talk about, King David and Psalms in some other class. A recurring theme in the book of Psalms is how his enemies sought to destroy him without attempting to understand what he was trying to accomplish or who he was. Many in the generation who lived with David did not see him for what he was. They did not see him in historical perspective. If you stand right next to a mountain, you cannot see how tall and imposing you are. How imposing the mountain is. Only when you walk, go 50 miles away, you can begin to see how massive this mountain is. David was a mountain. Today we realize without him, there would be no Jewish people. He was not only the past, but he was also, he's also the forerunner to the future of the Messianic line. He is the hope for the future. David He is alive and well. His dreams and aspirations for us, the Jewish people, are alive and well. His book of Psalms is keeping many Jews alive and well through his, his beautiful songs of praise and of pleading. Yet in that time, his time, his contemporaries lacked the perspective to see and acknowledge his true greatness. After King Saul died in battle, we talked about last week, he died in battle against the Philistines. The Jewish people was on the verge of chaos. David, David becomes a single unifying factor and force to bring them all together after more than four centuries of war and bickering and every person doing what was best in his own eyes. He vanquished all Israel's outer enemies and inner demons. More than by force of arms, David unified the people because he was all things to all people. That's amazing. We talked about David. Brilliant, brilliant person in all different fields. He was a great Torah scholar, the rabbis say. He was a musician, one of the top musicians. He was a powerful warrior. And he was a truly righteous individual. David was everything for everybody. That is why he was able to unite the Jewish people. To the masses, he was a hero. To the scholarly, he was a hero. To the pious, he was a hero. On top of it all, he got the job done for leaders like David. He defeated Israel's enemies. He made peace with everyone else. Developed trade. Stabilized the economy. No inflation. Expanded the borders, including all the land for the Mediterranean in the west to across the Jordan and the east to the Golan Heights 
in the north in what is today Syria and Lebanon. One can be the greatest person, but if the job does not get done, then few people will look at him as a leader. Well, David, David got the job done. He was a terrific king and leader and general, scholar, musician, all-rounder, terrific all-rounder. He won everyone's respect except for those few who never gave up their jealousies and the petty intrigues against him. Originally, David was king, as we're going to talk about tonight, over the tribes of Judah, with his capital in Hebron. It's interesting. The city today, Hebron, which is uh, so divided between the Jews and the Muslims, the Arabs, Palestinians, was once the capital city of King David, capital city of King David. And in fact, there are graves there from that time. We're going to talk about how some great people, generals of King Saul, were buried there. Abner Ben-Ner, part of the body of the son of King Saul, who was the next king after Saul, Ishbosheth, was buried there as well, which we're going to talk about tonight. So he became king, first in Hebron for seven and a half years, which we're going to talk about tonight. And Jerusalem at that time was partly conquered by the tribe of Judah and partly under the hands of the Yibusim, the Jebusites, which we're going to talk about as well. So David first purchased parts of the city. He bought a section of the field of Arvana, who was a Jebusite, and that's the field in which the temple is going to be built, or was built by his son Solomon, Shlomo Meda. So it's interesting, he bought this field, the field became the site of the Bedevitash, and the rest of Jerusalem he had to fight for, which we're going to discuss. When he moved to Jerusalem, David got the idea to build the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, the first temple. However, we're going to see Hashem prevented him from doing so. Because the Torah says, we're going, to, we're going to talk about it, David was a warrior. He had killed many people in battle, even though the wars were necessary to defend himself and the people. It was held against him when he came to build the temple. House of God, which is a symbol of peace and tranquility, cannot be built by a man of war. It would be so unseemly for a person who has blood on their hands to build the Beit HaMikdash, the holy temple to God. Nevertheless, even though Shlomo Melech Solomon built the temple, his son, it was always seen as a credit to his father, David, he said, that the doors were not open until Shalom, Shlomo Solomon says. He gives credit to his father. He says, remember the goodness of my father, David. So until he said those words, the temple doors did not open. So David, David laid the physical and spiritual groundwork for the temple, for the Beit HaMikdash. He assembled the money and put money in the treasury especially allocated to building this first temple. Most of all, he laid down the spiritual foundations for the temple. Arguably, we're going to talk more about it in detail, one of the greatest accomplishments of King David, David of Melech, was the book of Psalms, Tehillim. Really, there were nine other authors, including Adam, Adam Rishon, who wrote Psalm 92, Moshe, Moses, 
wrote Psalm 90, the sons of Korach wrote a couple of Psalms. Nevertheless, the book of Psalms is David's book. David wrote the book of Tehillim, the majority, the vast majority of the Psalms written by King David. On one level, it's a virtual biography of David's life, recording many of his individual experiences and how he faced them. David Hamelech's reaction to being under tests and trials and troubles was to cry out to God. His one friend, his best friend was Hashem. That's the secret of David's success. God was his friend, probably from his early years of being thrown out of the house as an illegitimate son of Yishai of Jesse, of doubtful origins, and being a shepherd in the woods and the deserts of Judah looking after sheep attacked by lions and wolves and bears, his one friend. The constant in David's life was Hashem, God. God was the constant in David's life. We have to make God our constant. You know, in the laws of gravitation, there's a, a constant called G. And I like to think of the constant called G in our lives. Our gravity is Hashem. Our, our big G, our constant in our lives, the big G, and that was the G in God's life. In, uh, sorry, in, in David, King David's life was G, was God. God was the constant. Look at the book of Psalms. Any trouble he had, he was constantly crying out to God in all his troubles and also thanking and praising God. So that's a very important, critical, not just to cry out to God when you need God. But to thank God when things are going well, that people forget to do. Make a sudat hudah, to make a thanksgiving feast. A child gets married, make a thanksgiving feast to God. Something good happens in a person's life, make a thanksgiving feast. Not just to pray and cry out, but also say thank you. Thank you, Asher. Thank you, Asher, for everything you gave me. And the most powerful psalms are the, his psalms of thanks at the end of the, of the book of Psalms. There's the the Psalms of Hallelujah, which became universal praise of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah is one word, praises God. Praise be the name of Yudkain of God, God Almighty. So, Hallelujah, Hash, David Amelech, imagine, composed that word, became famous, different religions. Hallelujah. Thank you, Hashem, for everything. Praise be Hashem. So, one of his greatest accomplishments was this book of Psalms recording many of his individual experiences. Psalm 18, he writes, this is a psalm when Saul pursued me. And Psalm 3, it's a psalm when he had to flee his son, Absalom. Absalom. And then Psalm 30, this is the psalm on the day he dedicated his palace, which we're going to talk about. So you can get a complete picture of David's life through his book of psalms. Yet virtually everything he said on a personal level is something that we can empathize with. And that's what makes the book of Psalms so popular, so interesting, and so applicable even to us today. Because every single type of trouble that a person has in their lives, you can always find a psalm that addresses that issue. In fact, in our school's book of Psalms, they write down, this, this psalm is for this, this psalm is for this, this psalm is for sickness, this psalm is for success, this psalm is for money, this psalm is for this. And that the book of Psalms calls out to us today. We can use it. It's totally applicable to us on our troubles today, our physical troubles, 
It's also applicable to us when we want to praise God. We want to thank Hashem. There's beautiful psalms of praise to Hashem. Tremendous. As I said, all the hallelujahs. Amazing psalms. His uh, kindness is forever. His kindness is for generations. A whole list of things of kindness is forever. Let's go. Big praise. Tremendous praise of God. So you can get a complete picture of David through his psalms and everything he does and says, we can empathize with in our own way. It's as if it was written for each one of us individually. He expressed his thoughts and emotions of every human being in every stage of life. That is the lasting quality of the book of Psalms, which we have to talk about. Hope we're going to give a dedicate a whole class to the book of Psalms. It is the book that carried the Jewish people on its back through long, arduous journey through history, our long, arduous, horrible journey of history when a Jew needed help, turn to the book of Psalms. A Jew wanted to praise, turn to the book of Psalms. When a Jew needs anything from God, turn to the book of Psalms. Psalms. You know, there's a custom saying the psalm of one's age. So person, I'm right now I'm 63. I say the 64th psalm because I'm in my 64th year. So just for example, so if you're uh, 40, you say the 41st psalm. If you're 30, you say the 31st psalm. It's good to do this every single day of that year. And then every year, move up one year. So move up one psalm. This way, a person should memorize the book of Psalms through their lives. <laughs> it's better to say two Psalms a day this way. You probably will cover it in your life. It's 150 Psalms of the book of Psalms. If you go to the Jewish, the Israel Museum in Jerusalem, see they found a handwritten book of Psalms from the time of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Only thing is it has five extra Psalms, which the book of Psalms we have don't have. So instead of 150 psalms, it's 155 psalms or more, 57, I'm not sure. But it's interesting when I go there again, I'm going to have a look again. But it's, you see it's 2,000 years old, written on parchment from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Interesting, the book of psalms. We have it, it's thousands of years old. What a question. So David was able to bring the Jewish people to the highest point in their history up to then. His last years together with his first years of his son Solomon, Shlomo Melech, mark the highest point in Jewish history of Israel. We'll get there again, get even higher. The building of the first temple was the highlight of the Jewish commonwealth, the first commonwealth, because that's when the Jewish nation had everything they could ask for. Wealth, power, prestige, peace. Ah, that's you know, one of the dreams of the Jewish nation. Peace, peace in the world, peace in Israel. All the nations of the world would come to Shlomo Melech to learn from him. He didn't have to fight a single war. He was a powerful monarch. Proclaimed by the whole world, the Messiah will be the one. Proclaimed by the whole world, there'll be peace in his time. So this was the golden age. David Melech started the golden age of the nation. The rest of the world clamored to convert to Judaism. According to one tradition, 150,000 converts came. In fact, the Talmud says they weren't allowed to accept converts during the kingdom of Shlomo because most people were converting for the wrong reasons. If times are bad for the Jews, if you want to convert, take them. Because that's for the right reasons. 
Times are good for the Jews, don't take it. They're doing it for the wrong reasons. It's an interesting, very interesting, fascinating. So Judaism is not a proselytizing religion. We don't want proselytes. We want people to believe in God and ethical monotheism, to believe in God and ethics and morality. You don't have to be a Jew to go to the next world, Ramon says. It's a very generous religion. Whereas other religions say, you're not, you're not Christian, you're going to hell. You're not Muslim, you're going to hell. Jews say, you're not a Jew, just be a good person. Believe in one God. Be ethical. Try and keep the seven Noahide laws, which I have to talk about in another class. You don't have to be Jewish. But anyway, it's interesting. At that time, a lot of people wanted to be Jews because Israel was on the ascendancy. Israel had a tremendous power at that time. Ended David's reign and Shlomo Melech's reign. It's a highlight of the Jewish commonwealth. Consequently, the rabbis closed the doors to conversions. And the same thing would happen in the Messianic era. The doors to conversions would be closed. It's too late. You're not Jewish, it's too late. So what? I'm not a Jew, but I'm an ethical person. I believe in God. No problem. Not a problem. You deserve Gan Eden. You deserve the next world. You deserve this world as well. I'm the Messiah. The whole golden period we are talking about lasted perhaps three decades. That's it. A little more than a generation. By the end of King Solomon's reign, it all started falling apart, unfortunately. Nevertheless, the David and Solomon reigns were a kind of Jewish utopia. And they are the forerunner to the era of Messiah. And that's what it will be like. So today I want to continue the kingdom of King David. And the, we, last week we ended with the death of King Saul. And David was in a town called Siklag given to him by the king of Philistines, um, Akish. And he was there when King Saul was killed by the Philistines and he hears the message and he mourns. He mourns terribly for Saul. He mourns terribly for his best friend, Jonathan, Yonatan, best friend. He mourns for the other two sons of King Saul who died with him. So three sons of Saul died with him. And then it says, after this, David Amelech asked. So he said, David Amelech was blessed in the sense that he had with him surviving Kohen, Abiatar Kohen, who survived from the city of Nob, Irak, the town of Kohanim, which was destroyed by King Saul, one of the terrible actions of King Saul, that he destroyed this whole city of Kohanim, Nob, Irak, And the last survivor was person called Leviatar, who was the son of the former high priest. And he came to David with the Urim Betumim, the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol. And here David Abedach now has a way of talking to Hashem and asking God questions. This Urim Betumim was a breastplate with the Choshen Mishpat. And inside this Choshen Mishpat, on, on the, on the Choshen Mishpat, there was a breastplate for the Kohen Gadol to wear with his other seven garments. And it had 12 beautiful precious stones on this for the 12 tribes each name of each tribe is on the 12 stones and if you ask the question the king could ask a question to the to the coin gadol you get replies the, the letters on the Hoshen would light up light up and you get replies from god so you could ask questions to god and this is one of the times where david uses this he asked god what should i do shall i go back to the cities of judah and Hashem gets a reply. You open Hashem Elav, and Hashem says, Aleh, go back. 
Remember David? When David says, which city should I go to? And the reply comes back, Hebrona, go to Hebron. Wow. So David, I'm going to go to Hebron. So it says he didn't hesitate. He took everyone. He took his wife, he took his children. He took all his men. You know, when God says to do something, you don't hesitate, even though he doesn't know what kind of reception he's going to get from his own tribes. You know, they try to hand him over before to King Saul. King Saul is dead now. He does, still doesn't know. Are they loyal to him, not loyal to him? Are they going to rebel against him? They're going to try and kill him? He doesn't know. But if God says to go to Hebron, he packs up his bag and he goes to Hebron. He goes and he dwells in the city of Hebron. And all the people of his tribe, all the people of Judah, they anoint him as their king. So the tribe of Judah, which is the most powerful, the most populous tribe of Israel, the 12th tribe, he's one of them. He was born in Bethlehem, which is part of Judah. And now he's the king in Hebron. He was anointed by the tribe of Judah. Unfortunately, not yet, but the other 11 tribes do not recognize his power. But over a period of seven and a half years, he was king of Hebron. Nearly everyone started coming to him because he was the central power. We're going to talk about that. His only rival was the son of Saul that survived Ishbosheth. And because, not because of the son of Shaul, was very popular, but because there was a very popular general, Saul, who was a mighty warrior, Abner Benner. Abner Benner was also one of the cousins of King Saul. He was a very, one of the mightiest people in Israel at that time, very strong, very tremendously strong. And the general of King Saul who kept, who was the power behind the throne of Ishbosheth, the son of King Saul. And that's the reason why it took a while for David's reign to, to create enough momentum for all the other tribes to come in and join him. But it's interesting, eventually it did happen. We're going to talk about, that's exactly what we're going to talk about tonight. How did David become the king of Israel. Now, it's interesting. David never pushed himself to become king. He never tried to use physical might to become king. He never attacked Saul, he said. He had two opportunities to king, king Saul. He refused to raise his hand on the Messiah of God. He considered Saul the Messiah of God. He refused to raise his hands on the Messiah of God, to his credit. And even when Saul died with his sons, he let Ishbosheth become the king in the north, and he was just the king over Judah, which again, he did not take by force. They appointed him as the king. The people of Judah appointed him as the king. So we see David was not in a rush to be king. He took it very slow. He didn't try and push himself onto the people. He waited to be accepted in a very natural kind of fashion. And eventually this worked. This strategy worked to his credit. Like, I want to be king. I'm going to take over the kingdom. I'm going to attack everyone. I have an army. I'm going to do it by force. No, David relaxed. He had patience. If this is Hashem's plan, Hashem's plan will come about whether I work at it or not. Hashem's plan is going to happen anyway. So he relaxed. The people of Judah anointed him as their king. He accepted it. And he's waiting patiently in Hebron till the rest of the nation would acknowledge him as king. It took a couple of factors which we're going to talk about tonight. So what happens? First, he's the king of Judah. What does he do first? 
he thanks the people of Yavesh Gilad. Yavesh Gilad was a town next to Beit She'an. Beit She'an is in the north of Israel, next to Tiberias. It's a very hot weather, beautiful hot weather. And uh, that's where the Philistines had hung the body of King Saul and his sons. When they conquered them and they killed them, they hung their bodies over there. And the people of Yavesh Gilad, they risked their lives and they went and they buried the bodies of Saul and his sons. So first thing King David does as king of Judah, he sends his thanks to the people of Yavesh Gilad who are not from his tribe. Thank you so much that you did kindness to Saul and his sons and you buried them. Imagine something, you know, just shows the humanity of David. The first thing he worries about is Saul was buried and thank God. And he thanks the people who buried him. God will do for you kindness and truth. He blesses them as well because you have done kindness and truth to your master, to your king. And so Hashem will do kindness and truth to you as well. And he blesses them. And, uh, and then he tells them, Hashem has also anointed me as king of Judah to be king over you. And Abner Ben-Ner, who was the general of King Saul, who survived the war with the Philistines, he made one of the sons of King Saul who survived Ishboshek, the king of the northern kingdom. So now you have two kingdoms in Israel, split kingdom. The northern kingdom of 11 tribes with Ishbosheth and the southern kingdom of Judah, King David. So Ishbosheth had a massive kingdom, 11 tribes. His general, Abner Benner, we said, was the power behind the throne, kept him going. He was more like a puppet. And David was in Judah, surrounded by his men. His general was Yoab ben Seruya. It's interesting, Seruya was David's sister. And Yoab was his general, his nephew. Um, and eventually we see that David was, must be younger than Yoab because Yoab tries to take control in a few areas. He oversteps the boundaries. We're going to talk about how Yoab oversteps the boundaries, unfortunately, and caused David real pain sometimes till eventually Yoab joins a rebellion against David. We're going to talk about right in the end of David's life, towards the end. And David appointed King Solomon, and you have joined the other son, Adoniah, instead. So Yahweh, watch out for this man. On the one hand, he's a terrific general. He won all the wars. David could relax if he knows that Yoab is in command of the troops. He could relax, learn Torah, do other things. Whereas... On one side, he was a terrific general. On the other side, sometimes he overstepped the boundaries. We're going to see very shortly. So Ishbosheth, the son of King Saul, one of his sons, is the king in the north. David is the king in the south, the southern kingdom of Judah. And it was that it says, David was king in Hebron on the house of Judah for seven and a half years. And Ishbosheth was the king of Israel for two years. So the numbers don't add up. Why was Ishbosheth a king for two years? And David was a king for seven years. If Ishbosheth only lasted for two years, then the rest of the kingdom should be David's. So David should be reigning in Judah for two years, and the rest of the time he should be reigning over all of Israel. 
So when it says Ishbosheth was a king of all of Israel for, for two years, it means that was the height of his power. Because after two years of being a king over 11 tribes, the tribes started leaving him one by one and joining David. So even though David was king in Hebron was seven and a half years, slowly but surely a lot of the tribes started leaving Ishbosheth. They knew David was much more successful. David was much more powerful. David was much more popular. And they started joining David. So it says David was king in Hebron for seven and a half years. He was not only king over Judah, he was also king of some of the other tribes who had left Ishbosheth. So basically, Ishbosheth was left with nothing at the end of seven years. Everyone migrated to being vassals of King David. They're going to anoint King David. We're going to talk about this, but it took some undercurrents to achieve this. But again, there was no major war between them. Between David, David did not take the kingdom by force. It was handed to him on a platter by the nation themselves. They anointed him by popular will. It's more like today. Not like those days where the guy would come along, kill the king and take over. Like the Thomas says, like a Hashverosh. He became the king of Persia by killing the ex-king. Took over by force. David does not do that to his credit. David is waiting for the people to give him the kingdom. Even though he knows he, he's God's anointed and he could have taken things, he could have done things by force. He didn't resist that temptation. He was very humble. We talked about it last week. The humility of David was why his kingdom lasted. But yet, Abner Benner. So now what happens is the power behind the throne of Ishbosheth, the son of King Saul, is the general Abner Benner. Abner Benner was accused falsely by Ishbosheth. Of fooling around with his father's, one of his father's former wives. His father was dead. He accuses Abner Benner of fooling around with one of his father's wives. And uh, Abner Benner is sickened by this. I'm propping you up. I have made you king. I'm the power behind the throne. And you're accusing me of false accusations of fooling around with your father's ex wife, your, your dead father's wife. How dare you? So. Ishbosheth is quiet. He realizes something nice. But Abner Benner is now seeking some kind of compromise with David. He goes to Hebron to speak to David about this. So it's interesting. So it says that Ishbosheth was slightly older than David. Ishbosheth was 40 years old at that time. And uh, he was king of Israel for two years. And then Abner Benner says, I've had enough Ishbosheth. He's accusing me of false accusations. I'm going to go and speak to David. Before that, there's a slight skirmish. Yoav, the general David, meets Abner Benner. They have a skirmish. They just First, it starts off as a friendly fight, and then things get out of hand, and it turns into a real battle. And the servants of David win the battle. But 360 of Abner's men die. And Abner Benner, who he said is a mighty warrior, is chased by one of the brothers of Yoab ben Suriah, Asahel, who is very fast. And he will not let Abner Benner go. Abner Benner says, let me go. Don't chase me. I can kill you. I'm so strong. I'm stronger than you. 
I don't want to kill you because then your brother is going to go mad. I will be able to look at his face again. And Asahel would not leave Avner. And terrible Avner had to get rid of Asahel. The question is, why didn't he just wound him? He's such a good warrior. He just wound Asahel. But instead of wounding Asahel, he actually killed Asahel. And that was bad blood between him and Yoav, which has unfortunately great underpinnings for the story. So what happens is Yoav, now thinks Avner was a Rodef, as Avner killed my brother in cold blood, wasn't really cold blood. Avner had the rights to kill Asahel because Asahel would not leave him alone. He warned him twice. He chased after him, tried to kill him. So Avner Benir was just defending self-defense. And nevertheless, the damage was done. Asahel was dead. Yoav was mourning and bare the grudge against Yoav. Uh, against Avner, waiting for the chance to kill him. Okay, so we're going to see this. In the meantime, Judah is getting stronger and stronger. More people are going to Judah. And Avner says, you know what? I'm going to make a treaty with David. David is a better king. He's a better person. And I'm going to try and make peace with him. So Avner Benner sends a message to David. I want to make peace. Bring together the kingdom under you. And David replies, first, give me back my wife, Michal. Michal was given to him by Shaul. The daughter of Shaul, Michal, was given to David when David killed Goliath. But eventually when Shaul was chasing after David, Shaul took Michal away and gave her, he gave her to another man, Palti ben Laish. The rabbi said was a big tzaddik and didn't touch Michal. Because he lived in the same house with her for many years because of what Shaul was doing. He never touched her. And David says, you want to meet with me, Abner? First, give me back my wife. So David sends a message to Ishboshet. Send me back my wife, Michal, your sister. And Ishboshet was not in a position to refuse David. David was very powerful. He sends back Michal to David. And now Abner goes to meet David. Fortunately, Yoav, the general of David, is not in town. He's out fighting with someone, doesn't say, but it says he fought in the Gedud. He was fighting on the border. And Mrs. Abner Benner comes to Hebron. David receives him, gives him a, a tremendous feast. They, they, they want to make a peace between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. They want to make David the next king. The Abner leaves down. And Yoav hears about this. He's furious. And he comes to David and he oversteps the bound. Sometimes Yoav oversteps the boundaries. And uh, he comes to David. This look what I wanted to show you what's, uh, what David, what Yoav tells David and how rude Yoav is to David. And here we are. Yoav Yoav comes to the king. That's David. David. What have you done? Abner came to you. Why did you send him away in peace? Don't you know that he came to carry favor with you? Don't you know he wants to know what you're doing? To spy? And what happened is Yoav goes, leaves David, and he sends messengers to call Avner Benner back to Hebron. 
Unfortunately, Abner ben Nair was not where he, because he knew David loved him, wants to make peace with him. So he comes back to Hebron, doesn't know it's Yoav, who's sending messages to get him. And when he comes back to the gates of Hebron, Yoav kills him in cold blood. You killed my brother, I killed you. And Abner ben Nair was not even thinking that he's under attack. He had no time to defend himself. The rabbi said he, had, he was a total match for Yoav. In fact, the Midrashim over here, beautiful Midrashim, the Midrash, Midrash says, how did Yoav kill Abner as much stronger than him? It says, Yoav asked Abner a halachic question. How does a woman do chalitza if she has no hands? You know, chalitza is taking off the brother-in-law's shoe have a, Jew, a Jewish law is laws of Yibum, deliberate marriage. If a brother dies with no children, his brother has to marry his brother's wife, the dead brother's wife, try and have children in, in the name of the dead brother. If he or she did not want to do this procedure, they have to do Halitza, which is um, the, the dead brother's wife has to take off this brother's shoe as a sign of disgrace that he's walking around now barefoot because he will not raise a name, a son for his dead brother. And that's what we do today. That's a procedure done today. Till today we do this procedure. A man dies with no children. His brother has to marry his wife, uh, the dead brother's wife. So today we don't do this. Today what we do is halitza. So Yoav asked Abner, what about a woman who has no hands? How does she do Khalisa Hashid? How does she take off the brother's shoe from his foot? So Abner says she takes it off with her teeth. And Yoav says, Show me how. Abner bends down to show Yoav how to do Khalitza, unsuspecting, and straight away Yoav kills. That's how Yoav killed Abner. A terrible, a terrible disaster, dastardly act. He kills Abner in cold blood. He says, it's a redemption for my brother's soul. The rabbis say, oh, Yoav was not allowed to do this. Yoav had to go to the Beitin, take Abner to Beitin, to Sanhedrin. You're not allowed to just come along and kill people in cold blood, even though you're trying to avenge someone else's soul. It's not allowed in Jewish law. It's a law. It's a law, law and order. Judaism is a religion of law and order. First, you have to go to Sanhedrin. You can't just kill people on the street. So now Yoav is very powerful. David cannot do anything to Yoav. Yoav is his general. He relies on Yoav. Yoav has a lot of followers as well in the family, out of the family. What, what David does is have a tremendous mourning, a mourning period for Abner ben Nair, one of the heroes in the Jewish people, a general of the army. Even though he's on the other side, he was a terrific person. He was a very knowledgeable person. Abner ben Nair stood up to King Saul. And King Saul said, let's kill the whole Kohanim in Nov. Avner Benner refused to take orders. Can you imagine? He said the Nazis had an excuse for just following orders. Avner Benner was a true son of Israel. He refuses to take the king's orders to kill innocent people. Imagine any general doing that today. It's very hard for a general to stand up. I do not take orders which are immoral. I do not take orders which are unethical. And you know what? Saul was forced to find someone else to kill the city of Nov. Abner ben Nair would not do it. His army would not do it. Talked about this. Doeg Haidomai Adomi did it. The one who spoke. 
evil about the, the Kohanim, he killed them. Amazing, amazing story. So Abner ben Nair was a righteous individual. And the only reason why he killed Yoah's brother was because Yoah's brother would not let him alone. Nevertheless, you have to vengeance without the Sanhedrin. So David is now leading the mourning period for Abner ben Nair. I just want to read it out to you. Uh, what does he do? The Yomer David el Yoav el Kol and David tells Yoav and all the people with Yoav, Kerub b'gdechem, rip your clothes, to sign a mourning. He grew sakim, wear sackcloth, v'sifdu l'vnei Avner, and give eulogies before Avner. So can you imagine David is telling the person who killed Avner and everyone who is with him, you rip your clothes and you mourn for Avner ben Nair. And uh, David goes after the coffin on the way to burial, and they bury Abner ben Nair in Hebron. And you can go today to the grave of Abner ben Nair, which is only open on certain days because it's in the Arab quarter of Hebron. And the Israeli army opens it certain days, they give protection certain days of the year. It's not open every day. So you can still go today. It's the, it's the grave site of Abner ben Nair, this great general. Of King Saul, tremendous personality and Sadiq, a righteous individual. So he buried Abner in Hebron, and the king wailed and cried when they buried Abner Benner, and all the people were crying. And the king gave eulogies for Abner. And uh, he's, one of the things he said is Should Abner die like a carcass? This great Avner should die, should have the death like a, an evil person. Your, your, your hands were not tied and your feet were not tied. You are not a convict. You should just be killed in cold blood by people who are sinners. Calls Yohav. doesn't say his name. He alludes to him. And all the people started crying. So they all come. And we know when a, when a mortar comes back from a funeral, there's a special suda called a sudat habra'ah, which is a mourner's, uh, you know, Jews. It's, just, it's one of our customs is we celebrate death with having a meal. What does that mean? That means even though a person died, a relative dies, we affirm that we want to live. We eat. We eat to show that life is important. Our lives are important. Even though Hashem took one of our relatives, our close friends, we reaffirm that we want to live because the biggest gift God gave us is the gift of life. Hashem gave us this gift of every day we wake up in the morning, we say, thank you, Hashem. You gave me back my soul. Thank you for the gift of life. We have to appreciate the gift of life. So now it's common in those days until, you know, thousands of years old, this heritage of Israel is 3,400 years old now. From the time of Moses, 3,400 years. From the time of Abraham, 3,800 years. We have an old history. And uh, one of the oldest histories in the world, the Jewish history. And uh, yeah, David comes back from the funeral of Avner ben Nair, who, even though he wasn't his brother, he showed as if he was his brother, one of the great leaders of Israel. He mourned for him like a brother, ripped his clothes, uh, gives eulogies, makes the whole people, all the people crying for this Avner ben Nair. And the next stage is when he come back from the funeral to give him food. Suda Havra. And David says, I will not eat until the sun goes down, until dark. I'm not going to eat. 
this a great leader of Israel was killed in cold blood and I can't eat today. So therefore the people were happy. They saw David was not the one who killed Yoachal Abner Ben-Ner. Abner Ben-Ner was popular, he was a general of Israel. And when they saw David wailing and mourning, it was a good credit for David. His, his hands were innocent. He never had blood on his hands. And in fact, David curses Yoav, curses him out. Terrible curse. I don't, I don't want to say these curses. He cursed out Yoav for killing an innocent man and causing trouble for David. Because people were going to say it was on David's orders. So people realized it wasn't David who did it. It was Yoav did it on his own, on his own account. And that's what David, that's how he cursed him. He says, Hashem, I'm not responsible for the blood of Avner. Yoav, Yoav is responsible. So over here, how the Torah just goes back, gives us a little bit of background information about Yonatan's son. Yonatan was the friend of David, the best friend of David, tremendous personality, one of my favorite personalities in Tanakh. Yonatan, the son of Shaul of Saul, big friend of David, one of the most hum- humble people, great man in his own right, willing to, to give the throne to David, who his father considered his biggest enemy. And he told David before he died, he said, David, I will be your second in command. I will serve you faithfully. Imagine, son of the king, the prince, is willing to give over power to his successor, David. Anyway, Yonatan was killed with Shaul in the battle of the Philistines. And Yonatan had a son who was five years old when Yonatan died. And he says, his uh, carer was running away. She heard that Yonatan was killed in the war. She was running away from the Philistines. And she fell. And the son of, of Yonatan fell and he became lame. So poor fellow became lame. But nevertheless, he grew up to be a tremendous scholar in Israel, Mephibosheth. And he also became one of the teachers of David. David hired a son of Yonatan to teach him Torah. And because of his friendship with Jonathan, he said, Mephibosheth, you're going to sit at my table for the rest of your life. I'm going to support you. You're getting a pension from the king because you are the son of my friend, my best friend. You see, David looks after his friends. He's faithful to his friends. So Mephibosheth was a lame. You're going to see how it has bearing in the next uh, coming weeks in the talk about David's life. And so what happens is, eventually, people start moving, changing sides from Ishbosheth to David. They see David is the real king. He acts like a king. He's powerful like a king. He has a tremendous personality. Apparently, Ishbosheth did not have a tremendous personality until eventually what happens, the final episode that made all the people join David is, unfortunately, two evil people who were hearts of Ishbosheth's army or household decided to kill Ishbosheth. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Ishbosheth was not suspecting anything. He never had any guards in his house. Can you imagine? A king never had guards. Imagine he, he thought he was safe. His people liked him. Well, they were all relatives. They were all parts of Binyamin. He was in the tribe of Benjamin. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He didn't suspect anything. They go into his house when he's having a siesta and they cut off his head and they bring his head to David. And David's reaction, as we saw before, is he doesn't stand for this. You killed an innocent man in his bed. He gets rid of them super fast. He gets rid of them super fast. 
But that's how, unfortunately, that was a prelude to all the people. Now there's no king in the north. Ishbosheth is dead. Abner Benner is gone. They all come to David. I'm going to end off this class with the coronation of David HaMelech over the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, Hashem blessed David. So I'm just going to finish off with the sentences. And uh, here we are. They have all called Zikna Israel. All the elders of Israel come to the king in Hebron. And they make a covenant with the king David in Hebron before Hashem. And they anointed David as king over all of Israel. David was anointed three times. He was anointed by Samuel as the king. And that time he had no power at all. He was a young boy. And then he was anointed by the tribe of Judah. And the third time he was anointed by all the tribes of Israel. So three times he was anointed as king. Each time growing in power and authority and uh, power. David was 30 years old at that time. And he was king for 40 years. In Hebron, he was king for seven years. And in the rest of Israel, he was king for 33 years. So he was 30 years old. He became king of Judah. 37 years old. He is now the king of all the people of Israel. United the kingdom under him. And as soon as he gets united, the kingdom, he goes to fight and conquer Jerusalem. We're going to talk about that next week. Conquering Jerusalem and uniting the Jewish people. And obviously the Philistines here, the David is the king. The first thing they do is attack. So we're going to talk about this next week. Please join me, same time, same channel. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.